White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. And it's pretty deep out and left, and this ball is gone. How about that? How about that timing? This presentation of the ESPN 1000 Chicago White Sox Network is brought to you by Wintrust Bank and Mazda of Orland Park. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly, July 3rd, 2021. The White Sox are in first place and are one of the most interesting teams in baseball. Should be a really fun show this afternoon leading up to a White Sox and Tigers game in Detroit. We're breaking form just a little bit because, well, frankly, because we can and we should. We head out to the phone lines right away. First thing on the show today and joining us on White Sox Weekly to lead things off, even though he's in the lineup and batting a little later than leadoff tonight, is White Sox third baseman Jake Berger. Jake, how you doing? Thanks for joining White Sox Weekly. Jake, we got you. All right, let's work out the kinks in the phone real quickly here. We've got a little bit of uh, wires crossed. We're going to get them figured out. What's what's the start of White Sox Weekly without a wire cross or two? I think I probably kicked out the cord or something like that. We'll get to Jake in just a second. Phone calls on the way. Uh, while we're waiting, you can join us Friday, July 16th for Rock and Roll Night and Fireworks presented by Guaranteed Rate as the Chicago White Sox host the Astros at 710. Guaranteed Rate, faster results, faster way home. Get started today at rate.com to purchase tickets visit whitesocks.com waiting on jake Berger. just getting the phone lines uh all connected right now jake's in the lineup he's playing third base he will uh bat six today for the white Sox as they face the tigers Sox have won five in a row and this has just been wild to watch the offense come around over the last week two weeks in the middle of june where the offense just it struggled to, to get its own traction, to get runs across, to come up with not just hits with runners on, but get runners on in the first place. That was a challenge for the Sox. Uh, here, though, over the last week, it's been a fun run. It's been, it's been 36 runs in the last four games. That's nine runs per game. All right, a little bit of an update on Jake Berger. He's, he's talking to a hitting coach right now. Not sure why. Guy's got two hits and first four major league at bats, so I think we should have Jake soon. Uh, even still, this he's been part of, and, and really so have a lot of young ball players for the White Sox, part of a, a, a needed offensive influx. If you look at the last week of baseball, the guys who have really pushed runs across or come up with big hits or been the guys to extend innings that led to rallies, we're talking about guys like Andrew Vaughn in his first big league season. We're talking about Gavin Sheets, who's been on a tear in his first four games. We're talking about Danny Mendick with a couple of big hits, even though the last week or two haven't been, uh, you know, haven't been headline banner weeks, but he's certainly gotten a couple of hits. And Zach Collins. You'll hear from Rick Hahn a little bit later on in the show talking about the you know, kind of the infrastructure and the organization, organizational depth here. But there's been a lot of first round picks producing for the White Sox. You know, it's the last kind of like five, six, seven years of drafts for the Sox where you've got guys like Anderson, Collins, Sheets, Berger, Vaughn, all of them producing and in in pretty impressive ways. I mean, if you look at the lineup right now, I mean, just the way it's constructed today, 
you understand the issues that have gotten the Sox to where they're at, or where they're needing to turn to some of that depth. The fact that you don't have Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Nick Madrigal, who also another first-round pick who produced up until his season-ending hamstring injury a couple of weeks ago, I mean, this is a lineup that's now turning to its second- and third-string guys in a lot of occasions and getting production and getting big at-bats. I think what's really impressive, specifically about you know some of the younger kids, has been you know not, not just Berger coming up and, and being one heck of a story and a really fun guy to root for and his willingness to take on an extra position at second base in the minor leagues. But it's, it's that story with each one of those first-round picks. Andrew Vaughn's taken to left field. Gavin Sheets added corner, uh, right field primarily, to his defensive spectrum. That takes a commitment because those guys are, I mean, let's not, guys are hefty dudes. Jake Berger's bigger guy, you know, when he came in, when he got drafted, same with Sheets, same with Vaughn. And they both, and I I mean this only to to kind of underscore the commitment to things. It's hard work to, to kind of drop the weight they have, reshape their swing, and maintain the power that they've all shown. I mean, Sheets hit a 425-foot bomb in Detroit last night. That's a monster shot is what it is. You've got Andrew Vaughn going deep. You've got Berger with a couple of powerful swings so far. You look at the numbers he's put together in Charlotte with his kind of, you know, reshaped body and approach. It's been really impressive. Waiting on Jake Berger. I guess he's uh, talking to a couple of coaches right now, all of them at the same time, I I suppose. So we'll get Jake uh, in just a second. So we'll start, start the show this way. A couple of different options for you today. We're going to talk to Jake in just a little bit. Looking forward to that. Sarah Langs, MLB Network, is going to join us at 1.30. I, I've not had the chance to talk with Sarah yet in my White Sox baseball broadcasting career. I'm really looking forward to it. She is brilliant and one of the bright stars on the MLB Network. Really looking forward to that. That's at 1.30. We're going to take a look at the White Sox from kind of like a 10,000-foot view and then zoom in a little bit on some other places in the, in the American League. Looking forward to that quite a bit. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. And I got a question for you. And so does Len, by the way. We're going to play Len Asks in just a moment here as we're waiting on White Sox third baseman Jake Berger to join the show. What I find really interesting, and what and a question that was asked to Rick Hahn, the White Sox general manager, just the other day uh, when a couple of roster moves were made to bring up Jake and um, bring uh, take your mean Mercedes back to AAA, is... Just how much White Sox fans are willing to ride with the kids, Vaughn, Berger, Sheets, Collins to a certain degree, the kids, as opposed to pushing for their team to make trades like contenders do? I think it's an interesting question. I'll ask different ones to Jake Berger, though. He's a guest here on White Sox Weekly. Hi, Jake. How are you? Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Not at all, man. Not at all. Pleasure to have you. Congratulations. Your first big league hit. You've been called up. Lifelong dream achieved. What's on top of mind for you this morning? <laughs> Won another ball game today. Um, you know, last night I I took it all in and had a good time. But, you know, uh, wake up again and uh, put put the boots back on and go to work. 
Jake, I was I was thinking back. I don't I don't know if you recall this, but we were at Sox Fest. You and I, I, w- I was doing a broadcast. It was White Sox Weekly, actually, and this was the year after you got drafted. We sat down, we chatted, we laughed, we talked about a bunch of nonsense, and and then you went off to your next. I mean, really, to your next three years. I, I wonder mm-hmm. if if you think back to those three years, can you think oh, of I... can you think of the the bright spot, the spot where you you were like, oh, that's it. I know I'm making it back. Where where did that happen? Oh, that's a tough question. I don't think I've gotten that one. Um, honestly, uh, I played tennis with my mom a lot, and I would only go like 30 minutes, uh, just kind of running around playing. And, and then I actually played her in a match, and I think that was like the, the – like I recognized that, you know what, like I had the stamina to play through it. My, my Achilles didn't hurt. My heel didn't hurt. Like – this is it. Like I feel great and I'm doing cardio every day. So, um, that was kind of like the, the deciding factor. And then, uh, obviously playing in the, uh, car shield collegiate league and doing stuff like that, getting on the field again, like it just kind of gained momentum after that, that match with my mom. When was that tennis match and how's your tennis game? Uh, I think it was, I want to say it was May or June of last year. Uh, I was over quarantine. Um, and so I was able to play with her every day because outside nobody's really on the courts during that time. So, um, uh, tennis game's pretty good, you know. Um, it's gotten a lot better, and uh, I continued it uh, all off season. It's a good, good cross training uh, game for sure. So, uh, serve needs a little work, but mm-hmm. we're getting there. Who who won that game? Where you were like, "Oh, I'm back." Did did mom win? But you also thought you were back. I split the difference. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. She uh, she got the best of me in May and June, and then uh, July kicked in, and I was beating her pretty much every day. So she had her moment in glory for a little bit, and then uh, I was feeling good after that. So talk to me. Talk about Jake Berger, White Sox third baseman here on White Sox Weekly. Talk to me about your first big league hit. Take me through the hole at bat. I, it was just yesterday. You got to remember the whole thing. I know you're focused on today and all of the baseball player talk, but that's your first hit, dude. Yeah, no, it was, it was incredible. The uh, you know, when you're a little kid, you don't you don't dream of a uh, bloop double to be your first one. But uh, you know, that's uh, that's how it goes. We'll take it. But you know, I'm getting in the box, just uh, hunting a certain pitch in a certain location, and he threw it, and um, just got under it just a little bit, and um, fortunately, it, it dropped, and that, that was a cool experience for me and my family. Do you, Jake? Was there relief? When you got the second one, when you got the single, knowing that you know your your only hit that night wasn't going to be one that looked a little different, what was the emotion? Yeah, no, the second one I felt felt a lot better about. You know, got a nice two strike uh, slider. Uh, guy made a good pitch, and I, I put a good swing on it, and so that made me feel a little better. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's I'm going to tell my grandkids I hit a uh, a missile uh, off the wall for that double. You know, yeah. Just, uh, you gotta uh, embellish it just a little bit. <laughs> well, in the box score, it looks just—it looks like you juiced Daz Cameron, who's got a lot of wheels. So that's you know, he's telling that for years. <laughs> exactly, exactly. What's Jake? What's the vibe in Charlotte? Because the you know the White Sox have called up a lot of guys from the AAA club. I, I have to imagine that at some point you guys are looking around after every game, thinking you know, no, nobody wants anybody to get hurt, obviously, but that's the reality of a big league season. You know that better than most. Are you guys coming in after Charlotte wins, looking around going, all right, who's coming up now? 
<laughs> Not really. I mean, West does a great job of managing the clubhouse down there, and you know, we take it pitch by pitch and game game by game. Um, you know, it's awesome seeing your buddies get called up and go up and contribute. So, um, but yeah, West does a great job of kind of keeping us focused on the on the day to day grind rather than worrying about uh, any moves that might happen. When when you were given the responsibility of second base or started adding that into your repertoire, what were your first couple of thoughts and, and what did you what did you think about playing second base for a couple of games? You know, I was excited. Um, you know, anytime you can add versatility to your game it's gonna it's gonna help. Um so it was exciting and gave me a new look at baseball, uh, from a position I hadn't played. So, um, you know, I Obviously, there's going to be growing pains and, and different stuff that you don't get at third base, but you have a little more time to, to react to uh, certain ground balls and, and certain plays. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of an honor, uh, and, and it was intriguing for sure, and I was, I was pretty excited about it. So, obviously, you know, Jake, with an Achilles injury, injuries like you had, you've had to reshape the body a little bit. I, I would imagine you've kind of had to break yourself down and build yourself back up. Give me the – just from the – just from the diet and lifestyle standpoint, um, yeah, best I mean, thing and least okay. favorite thing about that remake? Oh, best thing would probably be getting into tennis. Um, I love the sport and I watch it all the time now. Um, I mean, I think I think they're the most athletic people in the world, uh, tennis players. So, um, and then probably the least thing was just like having the discipline day in and day out. Um, you know, that's, that's always tough to, uh, follow through, you know, I mean, that's people go on diets and stuff. It's like, it's hard to stay with it. So I, that's like a mental battle in itself to, to constantly grind through it and work through that. Was there a, was there a certain comfort food or foods that you could kind of rely on? Like, yeah, this sucks. And I dated every day. I've got to make these choices, but at least I have this. I, I really, so I ate sushi Every single lunch no this off season, yeah. After my workouts, um, yeah. I mean, like, I love sushi, and like, by the end of the off season, I'm like, I, you know what, I'm not going to eat it until next next off season. But um, you know, I think it was it was a good way to to get calories and uh, create a deficit. You know, it fills you up, and um, I, I love sushi, but it, it definitely kept me going. What's the go to roll? Um, I kind of just jump around, but I really like like spicy tuna rolls. Sure. Those are those are my favorite. I think that's the that's the role where if you're going to a new sushi place or something, you got to order. Safe bet. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it kind of lets you know like how where where is this place at? Let me know where the spicy tuna is at, and now I know where the rest of the place is going to show up. Exactly, exactly. That's that's good to know. Um, I'm wondering too your your first couple of conversations with White Sox manager Tony Larusa. The guy is a literal Hall of Famer. Uh, you have a job to do and a role to play, and I would imagine that you guys have had at least a little bit of conversation about, um, you know, expectations or or how this team works. I, I would hope you could uh, characterize for me, you know, how your first conversation with him went. Oh, I mean, you know, it's he, he's very professional, and he's like, hey, look, we're here to win ball games, and that, and you're going to contribute to that, and that it's that 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 simple. So. I mean, that was kind of the first conversation, and um, you know, he's happy for me last night. But he's like, "Hey, we got a we got a ball game to win tomorrow, so let's uh, let's get some sleep and get back after it tomorrow." And you know, I I love a manager like that. You know, we don't want to don't want to ride on the highs too much, don't want to ride on the lows too much. You know, we just we're here to play play baseball and win ball games. Rick Hahn mentioned the other day that 
you know, it's it's about winning ball games, like you said. And obviously, the names that are on the injured list for the White Sox are big names with MLB track records. Have you, in your head, started to balance yet? I got to make this a difficult decision for the brass once some of those names come back from the injured list, or is that is that a couple of days, a couple of games away from you know maybe kind of really calcifying in your head? Yeah, I mean, I don't really look at that much to like anything. I don't look at anything like that. You know, I'm again, I'm here to play a role um, and help the team no matter what. I mean, that's that's kind of how it goes. Um, you know, I'm going to be my best version of myself and keep keep pushing forward and keep keep trying to do my best my best self um and you know hopefully uh that helps us win some ball games you mentioned pregame that you got really into uh, uh meditating i think or meditating or mm-hmm. mindfulness I, I i apologize if i'm getting it wrong um tell me how you got into that and what sorts of routines um are you into that help you out uh so when i was kind of bad on anxiety with my injury um i talked to a therapist and he's like you know what try uh try meditating and i've kind of kept with it uh since it's just kind of keeps keeps me centered and uh keeps me focused on on my job that day rather than letting any external thoughts get in my head and uh anything i can't control you know so kind of centers me and then gets me gets me locked in i do a lot of breathing exercises and um listen to like lo-fi music while i meditate and it's it's definitely helped so far this season. Can you draw on that during an at bat? Yeah, yeah, I actually do. I mean, if I swing at a bad pitch, I'll kind of zone zone in on the uh, foul pole and just kind of like take some deep breaths and like kind of get back to center. Um, so I don't really think about um, anything that's going on, like I just missed my pitch or anything like that. Um, it kind of kind of locks me back in for the at bat and uh, definitely has helped with my two strike approach uh, over the last couple of weeks. When, when you look back at the player you were coming out of the draft in 2017, just kind of the, the, the prospect that was reported on MLB pipeline or was, you know, a top guy here or there, how are you different from that guy and how are you still similar? Uh, I think similar wise, I mean, I still have uh, power and I, I mean, I, I love hitting, you know, um, <laughs> I think I'm different because I think I'm a little quicker um, speed-wise. I've lost 30 pounds, so um, in that sense, I'm, I'm a different player, but that only helps with durability and, and stuff going forward. So uh, I like where I'm at right now. From a defensive standpoint, who was your favorite third baseman to watch coming up when you were a kid? Uh, Scott Rowland. He actually grew up in my dad's hometown. That's, that's my dude. That's so weird. Uh, <laughs> did, you, did you know Scott as you were growing up? No, so my dad played for his dad in high school uh, in Jasper, Indiana, and uh, I met him a couple times being in St. Louis and all, um, but I never really got to like be really close with him, but I've definitely taken some tips and whatnot from him and, and applied them to my game. Nobody came in on a slow roller like Scott Rowland. Oh, yeah. I think I was yeah, just a monster. It was magical, majestic. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, uh, one more for you before we let you go. I'm I'm kind of wondering it at this too. When you look at this lineup and you see Sheets, Vaughn, Mendick, Collins, names that if I asked White Sox fans, you know, the White Sox are going to be in first place, 81 games through the year, and these dudes will all be playing big time roles in the lineup. I would imagine White Sox fans have a certain mindset to them, and they they would think certain things. If I'd have told you that that all those dudes are going to be in this lineup today, 81 games through, and the Sox would be six games up. What what would you have told me? 
You know, I I think like the young guys like we just want to grind out at bats and do anything we can for the for the ball club. So, I mean, I I could see the same same scenario that we're in now. You know, um, it's just uh, when you're young and and trying to establish yourself, you know, you're going to do anything you can for the team and and win ball games. So. Um, you know, it's it's all about just grinding out at bats for the next guy up, and um, you know, it's it's been it's been fun and, and seeing all these guys, guys that I've played with, and you know, have become close with over the last three or four years. Like it's it's awesome to see, and it, it really excites me. Jake, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us. Good luck today Thank against you. the Tigers. Thank you so much. You got it, Jake Berger, right. White Sox third baseman. Great story, fun dude to talk to. Sushi advocate too, as it turns out. Good to know. Fire yourself up a spicy tuna. Get yourself set. Had to break format a little bit to get Jake Berger on the show. He's in some coaches' meetings and headed back to meetings. So uh, we'll reset the show, tell you where we're headed for the rest of the afternoon. White Sox and Tigers coming up at 310. Pre-game shows at 230. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Follow us on Twitter at ESPN White Sox. You've got White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Jake Berger was our guest to start the show. He was a blast to talk with and a really fun story. A really good addition to the White Sox so far. Yeah, it's one game, but he's hitting 500. He's got a double and a single. And I, you know, I did kind of suspect that it, with his first big league hit being kind of a blooper in the center field that Daz Cameron couldn't find and then falls for a double by rule that he is relieved to get a single in his next at bat. And you'd be like, yeah, 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 that one was okay. But that's legit. That's a single up the right. That's, that's, that's a shot is what it is. So I'm glad to hear from Jake that he feels like he's really, truly on the board. He's got a chance to make an impact again today. He's batting six and playing third base for the White Sox. I'll give you the lineup in just a second. We've got Len asks as well, but White Sox fans, it is your last chance to lock in a ticket package for the 2021 season. That's the best way to get postseason priority, flexible payment plans, and savings on single-game prices for the biggest matchups to come. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000. Sarah Langs is going to be our guest at 1.30. She of the MLB Network. She's absolutely fantastic. Looking forward to that conversation. But on Saturdays, we flip the script a little bit. Usually you get to ask Len or DJ a question on the broadcast, and they answer right there in the fifth. Today, though, Saturdays, Len asks you a question. Len was kind enough to record it, send it in. He's got the question for you, and I love it because it kind of it dovetails right with, where, right with what I want to talk about for the rest of White Sox Weekly this afternoon. So here it is, Len Asks. Simple question for Len Asks today. The Sox are at the exact halfway point of the season. On a scale of 1 to 10, assess the year so far, with 10 being a perfect grade, and give us your reasoning. Let us know via Twitter, at ESPN White Sox. That's Len Casper, and he's right. You can use the Twitter handle, at ESPN White Sox, to let us know. So, that, that's the question, starting out. And give us a call, 312-332-3776, or you can tweet at us, or at me, at C1 McKnight. Just 1 to 10. 1 to 10. 81 games through the season. Six games up in the AL Central. How's the White Sox season gone? I love it because there's there's so much nuance there if you want to do it. I mean, you could look, they're in first place and six games up. You want to give that a 10? Give it a 10. 
But, you know, there's, there's a couple of different things here or there. You could argue about sevens. You could argue about eights. I don't think we get anything less than a six. If you've got something less than a six, let me know. I'd love to talk to you about it. Maybe, maybe set your weekend a little bit better. We'll come back after a break. I'll answer Len asks. Ask you a couple of questions as well. Get you posted on everything. Uh, all the latest with Yasmani Grandal as well. He left yesterday's game with a little bit of a calf issue. I know he's working things out on the field in Detroit. He may or may not uh, be put on an injured list. We're not entirely sure yet. We've got, when we know, you'll know here on White Sox Weekly. 312-332-3776. Answer Len asks when we come back. It's the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Waddle and Sylvie. Afternoons. ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. We got things started with an interview with Jake Berger, White Sox third baseman in the lineup, hitting six tonight. Get you the full White Sox lineup in just a second here. We got the pregame show coming up at 2.30, first pitch 3.10 for the White Sox and Tigers. White Sox looking to win six in a row. Let you know that beginning July 6th, for one week only, you can lock in your summer outing with our Diamond Suite Flash Sale. You'll receive up to 40% off a 20-person suite to select games, take advantage of our customizable menu, scoreboard message, parking passes, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash flash sale today. More to do on White Sox Weekly. Tons to do today. In fact, Sarah Lang's going to come up at 1.30. We'll talk with her. I'm going to pause it, though, real quick. Ten seconds for Station ID. From the first Midwest Bank State Street studio, the new home of the Chicago White Sox, this is WMVP WSHE HD2 Chicago. So just checking in on some of the latest headlines from the White Sox, some of the big issues going on. I have a tweet from Daryl Van Scowen of the Sun-Times, who's in Detroit covering the White Sox right now, is uh, got the latest on Yasmani Grandal. And this is about an hour ago. Tony La Russa should talk with reporters soon for his pregame press conference. But last night, Yasmani Grandal, who really in the month of June has been the guy for the White Sox offense. There have been contributors elsewhere, no doubt about it. There have been big hits in other places, for sure. But Yasmani Grandal has been that guy for the White Sox. He has been every bit of what he hoped he could be, what Sox fans thought he could be, what projections thought he could be in the month of June and now into July. Last night he left the game after an RBI single and scoring from first on a Brian Goodwin triple with a calf issue. Probably a strain. I don't know for sure. There's further testing going on. Daryl Van Scowen of the Sun-Times tweeted an hour ago that Grandall's on the field testing the calf, running around a little bit, which he says, Daryl says, is likely a good sign, and I agree with Daryl. If he weren't running, that would be a bad thing. If he is running, that's a plus. He's not in the lineup today. In fact, Tony La Russa last night in the postgame mentioned right off the bat that there would be no more baseball for Yasmani Grandal this weekend against the Tigers. Discretion being the better part of valor there, of course. So in the lineup today, it's Tim Anderson at short leading off, Gavin Sheets at first, Jose Abreu has somehow been convinced to DH, Andrew Vaughn is in left, Leary Garcia is in right, Jake Berger's at third, seven, eight, and nine are Billy Hamilton in center field, Zach Collins catching, and Danny Mendick at second base. 
Sebi Zavala, AAA, on the 40-man roster, has been well, he was removed from the lineup last night in Charlotte, and that was to protect him and bring him to Detroit if a roster move is necessary. If Yasmani Grendahl needs to hit the injured list, the White Sox will obviously need a second catcher. That guy's going to be Sebi Zavala if that roster move needs to be made. We'll let you know when we know, but that's obviously a big piece of conversation as it regards the White Sox at this point of the season. Still, what I think is absolutely wild has been the last three weeks of offense for the Chicago White Sox. From June 13th through the 19th, here are the run totals in seven games. They scored four, then two, then three, then eight, then two, then one, then three. That's 3.29 runs per game. And in that week of baseball, they played all seven days, they were three and four. From the 20th to the 26th, two weeks ago, gosh, you remember the tone of White Sox Weekly two weeks ago? Right in the middle of a sweep against the Houston Astros, a sweep at the hands of the Houston Astros, to be more accurate. Here are the run totals, two, three, four, three, two, seven. 21 runs, three and a half runs per game, the White Sox were 2-4 and four that week. In this week, fewer games, no doubt about it. I mean, we still got to play this afternoon's game to even come close, and there's been an off day. But in four games, seven runs, 13 runs, eight runs, twice, nine runs per game. They've gone 4-0. and They've won their last five. It's just wild how quickly things turn around. And there's a bunch of factors attached to it. It's not just that a couple of big sticks have come around for the White Sox. Tim Anderson, you know, is still a little bit of a scuffle here in the last few weeks. Same with Jose Abreu. Yohan Moncada has been, you know, hurt again and won't play this weekend against the Tigers. We're also seeing some larger trends and forces in Major League Baseball that are, you know, dropping the spin rate in total from pitches. We've talked a lot about the ban of the sticky stuff, how much that matters how much that provides extra production from offenses all across baseball, still up for debate. We need to see a little bit more, I think, a couple more weeks before we really figure out what kind of effect that's had on offenses. But it looks like things are ticking up league-wide. It's also getting hot. It's getting real warm. And that helps offenses. It just does. I mean, that's you know we've, we've proven that over time. Better weather, hot weather specifically, helps offenses. All of this has kind of come at a time where the White Sox could have, you know, let's be honest, they, they needed some of those external forces to kind of act on their club and maybe raise some offense. That's helped. But what's definitely more interesting and absolutely more fun to talk about is the fact that each one of the guys the White Sox have called up, Sheets, Berger, Vaughn to a certain degree, and I know it's not quite the same category. Mendick have contributed in big ways. And let's not just limit it to the bats. Ryan Burr has been really good out of the bullpen for the White Sox since his being reactivated from Tommy John surgery. He's given up like three hits. Hasn't given up an earned run. I mean, he's been really good. 312-332-3776. I'm going to answer the question after Len asks it again, but we've got Len asks for the day. Sarah Lang's coming up at 
But I think this question from Len kind of points us in the right direction, at least to get things started on White Sox Weekly for sure. Give us a ring. Let me know the answer. Or hit us on Twitter at ESPN White Sox. Len will tell you what the question is. Here he is, Len Casper. Simple question for Len asks today. The Sox are at the exact halfway point of the season. On a scale of 1 to 10, assess the year so far with 10 being a perfect grade and give us your reasoning. Let us know via Twitter at ESPN White Sox. Or you could call 312-332-3776. White Sox Weekly's on until 2.30. I'm Connor McKnight. That was Len Casper. And my answer on a 1 to 10 scale? I I almost feel... Here's the... Don't call me a homer. Please. But how do you give it anything other than like an 8? There's six games up in the division. They are contenders. With a capital C. If you look across the American League, yeah, there are some other teams that have put together solid runs. And there was a four-game sweep by the Astros against the White Sox. But the Astros went on to get swept by the Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles. The Yankees can't hit. The Rays have had some of their own issues. I mean, name another American League team that has played more consistently than the White Sox. You could, but I can argue with you. The call-ups have all produced, for the most part. The lineup, you would imagine, gets healthier over the next month or so. And I think the record speaks for itself. All of that, combined with the unbelievable starting pitching the White Sox have gotten all season long, through 81 games. We're at the halfway point. We're 81 games through the season. If you look at trade rumors all across the board, you know, whether they're national reporters or local people, local report, local beat that really know those teams, the White Sox are kicking tires on the names that I think a lot of White Sox fans would hope that they're interested in. But my follow-up question to Lens, you know, rate the season on a scale of 1 to 10 so far for the White Sox, 81 games in. And the White Sox are 49 and 32. Would be this. And actually, Rick Hahn got asked this just yesterday. Can the production of some of the... Is it fair to call them second-string guys? I think it is. I don't think that's... I don't think that's degrading I think that's fair your second stringers become your starters in a lot of other sports I mean look at the NFL right I mean like you got a second string linebacker that pops up and plays like a starter in a lot of different teams and it matters you know they run to the playoffs with that kind of thing other than quarterback it happens but some of the second stringers Brian Goodwin who was added off waivers when the Pirates let him go Jake Berger Gavin Sheets Billy Hamilton Leury Garcia, probably to a less... I mean, that's your super utility guy. He's a he's a starter in, in air quotes, I guess, as the season begins. So, I, yeah, maybe you got to throw him out, at least of the second division guys. But they've produced, and they look like you know, keep their head above water. It, it looks like those guys really across the board are going to be able to keep the White Sox at least above water. You know what else I found was interesting? I think one of the teams I didn't mention in the American League was uh, the Red Sox and how well they've played. 
And, and they have. They've been very good. The two teams that lead the American League in errors are the Red Sox and the White Sox. They're both in first place in their respective divisions, of course. And that's not to say the defense doesn't matter. That's really more of a quirky, weird thing. It's also, I think, a comment on errors and how much they matter, don't matter, what they actually measure. That's a conversation for probably an off-season White Sox weekly. But I think it's interesting. I want to I get a, a cut here from Rick Hahn where he talked about what the, the depth has done for the organization and, and that the front office, having seen the depth in the infrastructure of that organization, come up to the big leagues, have some big at-bats, matter some, produce, really. That's what we're talking about, produce. How gratifying that's been for the White Sox this year. Uh, it's been, I think it's extremely gratifying, and I hope that each of the scouts involved in this and each of the player development guys involved in this, the analysts involved in targeting and acquiring players do at some point, maybe over the break, take a moment to appreciate the fact that we've had contributions from far more than the original 26 man roster. I mean, look at the end of spring training, when we're sending guys out, we're setting the final roster, you know, there is a normal part of the conversation where it's like, look, Hey, it's going to take more than 13 pitchers for us to win this year. And you're very much in the pool that, you know, we feel we're going to wind up relying in, relying upon inevitably. Uh, you know, no truer words have been spoken than those this year in those end of spring meetings. And we've had contributions, you know, both from both from young players who have been drafted, dealt with their own adversity, and, and worked their way up into this picture, which our scouts and our player development people uh, played huge roles in. We've had ball games won by guys who weren't even here in February when spring training started. You know, Jake Lamb, Brian Goodwin, Billy Hamilton have all played important roles. That's a testament to our scouting. It's our testament to the folks in the front office who've been identifying and acquiring these players. It's a testament to coaches. And in the end, it's a testament to the strength of that clubhouse and something we've talked about a few times in terms of the resiliency of those players to band together and whatever hands we've been dealt, uh, find a way to overcome and and win that night's ballgame more often than not. White Sox general manager Rick Hahn. Yeah, I forgot Jake Lamb when we were counting guys who have contributed and you didn't really expect. He wasn't on the roster when spring training started. This from Tony LaRusse. It's the latest on Yasmani Grandal. Tony says it doesn't look like an IL stint is going to be necessary. That First impressions are, Tony says, we can get through this with Yaz on the roster. Sebi Zavala is on the taxi squad for the trip. Danny Mendick is the emergency catcher for the White Sox. That's great news. It does put the Sox in a little bit of a bind roster-wise against the Tigers for the next two days. I mean, having a guy that's not available to you in a game on the bench who catches, that's you know, it's a tough thing to get through. But the Sox think they can do it because of the way Asmani Grandal has played lately. You just you, you would really hate to put him on the 10-day I.L., when you've got games to play coming up to the All-Star break. We'll talk about that in a little bit in the schedule for the next week or so before they hit the break. But, you know, whether we're talking about Yohan Mankato or Yasmani Grandal, being able to push through this with two guys down, knowing that you want to win ball games this coming week, that's aggressive. I kind of like it. Set out to the phone lines, 312-332-3776. 
in Texas. It's Jeremy. What's up, Jeremy? Hey. I just had a quick question. I just wanted to get your thought on something. You got it, man. Um, I know we're talking about outfield and second base, but should we be taking a look at starting pitching? I know it's been one of our strong suits, but when I think about it, do do you trust Cease handling game, let's see, game four, I think, mean, as the ALCS? Just just uh, thought. Sure, Jeremy. I appreciate the phone call, man. You know, I don't. It's hard to think that far down the line. But when it comes to starting pitching, I think the White Sox are going to have to trust in what they have. I'll give you the explanation for that when we come back. I think it's an interesting jumping off point for a little bit of conversation about the trade deadline. We'll do that on the other side. We'll talk to Sarah Lang's MLB Network at 1.30. I'm Connor McKnight's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Follow us on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. You can experience the all-inclusive guaranteed rate club. This private club includes in-seat service, parking, and unlimited food and beverage ticket packages. Start at 20 games, including flexible payment plans and postseason options. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit WhiteSox.com. This is White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. We just took a call uh, from Texas. It was our guy Jeremy who was asking about the rotation. This is interesting. I I hadn't given a whole lot of thought to the White Sox adding in the rotation as we approach the trade deadline. And I, I guess it's for a couple of different reasons. One, because Michael Kopech just came back from the injured list. And should something happen in the White Sox rotation, and maybe it wouldn't be the next time through, the White Sox do need to stretch him out still. You know, he had one inning. He was only going to throw one inning. It sounds like his next time might be a little bit longer or more pitchers or whatever. Um, but he's still got to work back into things. Should something happen, Michael Kopech's the guy that, I think likely steps into that one through five rotation. When it comes to the ALCS, which is what Jeremy asked about, here's hoping the White Sox have that problem, right? Deciding a starter, a game four starter for the ALCS. You know, you kind of figure, at least right now, some combination of Lynn and Rodon and Giolito, and believe me, I feel like it's crazy that I'm saying Giolito third and not first, but yeah, it's what it is this season. Lynn and Rodon and Giolito are going to make your starts. And, you know, with the off days in a series like that, I mean, you never know how the games go leading up to that. But you probably handle it with fewer pitchers. You know, remember the, what was it, the 19 Nationals? They had such a, they had a rough bullpen. Those 19 Nationals, it was a rough. But they made it into the playoffs for a whole bunch of different reasons and were able to kind of, you know, reduce the number of high leverage guys that they were going to use by doing so, leaned on, you know, two, three, four relievers and turned one starter into a bullpen guy and were able to get through that way. I mean, not just that way. Obviously, there's some big hits along the way. There's big offensive performances, too. But still, you're able to kind of whittle down your pitchers when you get into the playoffs. And I would expect the White Sox would be no different. I also think that, you know, adding starting pitching right now would be expensive. You know, the fact that the White Sox have this mass of organizational depth, first-round guys, all of them producing and providing at the big league level for a whole bunch of different reasons, you know, some of them covering for injuries and some of them getting promotions on their own merit, to be sure, you know, guys like Collins and Vaughn, for instance. I don't know that I want to give up any of those pieces. It was John Heyman, the New York Post, who who had a report the other day that, 
you know, the White Sox are interested in Adam Frazier, the second baseman and outfielder from the Pirates. We've been reading about that for weeks. And he kind of just, he didn't say it's a Vaughn for, you know, Andrew Vaughn for Adam Frazier proposition. But he said that what might be interesting for the Pirates is maybe to get a guy like Adam, uh, like Andrew Vaughn back for Adam Frazier. And I kind of thought, that's, I don't, I don't see that transaction working out all that well for the White Sox just in the 2021 season because Andrew Vaughn, especially over the last couple of weeks, hasn't just been like the guy holding down the fort in left field. But since June started, he's really figured out how to hit right-handed pitching or at least better than he had in the first two months. And check out his last week. In his last seven games, six starts, he's hitting 450. The on-base is 458, and he's slugging 850. You saw the dinger he hit last night. He hit one against Minnesota, too. I, Vaughn is... You, you, the White Sox took Vaughn third overall. I don't know that I'm moving pieces like that in order to get a guy with one or two years of control. And yeah, a major league track record, sure. But when you're talking about first-round guys, recent first-round guys... The White Sox have a lot of belief in those players. So I don't necessarily see moving those kind of... And that's what it would take if you wanted to go get a Kyle Gibson or something like that to fill out rotation depth if you wanted to. I don't see the White Sox need screaming there. And I I really don't see what you'd have to give up matching up with winning the rest of the way in 2021. Sarah Langs is one of the brightest young stars on MLB Network. She just is. She's our next guest. You'll hear from Sarah. We'll have our conversation when we come back. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly Saturdays on ESPN 1000. You can join the White Sox on Saturday, July 17th as they take on the Astros. The first 15,000 fans will receive a 1960 replica of the original exploding scoreboard at Old Comiskey Park. It's presented by Wintrust. Wintrust, Chicago's bank. It's an awesome giveaway. Might be chopped to fit in the trunk on your way home. That scoreboard is very large. I'm sure they've done something to fix that. Single game tickets are on sale now. Get yours at WhiteSox.com slash promos. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly. And joining me on the show, it's the first time we've had her here on White Sox Weekly. And we're absolutely thrilled to welcome Sarah Lang's MLB Network star to the show. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for taking some time on this holiday weekend for us. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, one of the things, we, we just got done taking a couple of calls, and um, a few White Sox fans were wondering whether or not the White Sox, kind of in a, you know, what what aren't we talking about sort of way, are, are interested in starting rotation depth, believe it or not. I, I kind of said, no, I, I think they're pretty deep there. They've been really good this year, and I was wondering what stood out to you most over the first couple of months in that White Sox rotation. Oh my gosh. I mean, it feels like this rotation has been just so much better than I think most of us expected. And I don't mean that in any negative way towards the team whatsoever, but you know, I feel like entering the year, we figured Lucas Giolito would be the ace. Dallas Keuchel would have another pretty solid season. Lance Lynn reliable, but certainly I don't think anybody saw exactly what he's done this year and how great he's been coming. And of course, Carlos Rodon, none of us saw that coming. We know the whole story with being non-tendered and coming back, everything else. He's thrown a no-hitter. He's been 
so much better than even just the no-hitter. He's been one of their two best rotation pieces. And I didn't even mention Bill and Cease yet. So I, I don't think, I mean, it would almost be an embarrassment of riches if they were to be interested even in a back-end uh, rotation piece. But I think what has impressed me most about this rotation is that depth. I mean, they have five really, really good starters, and there are not many teams out there that can say that. There are a handful of teams with some good top threes. You know, I'm thinking of the Mets. Obviously, Jacob deGrom is on his own planet, and the Milwaukee Brewers, and even the Dodgers. But there are not a lot of teams in this kind of situation with their rotation, and I don't think that that was a perceived strength entering the year for this team. You know, it's funny, Sarah, I want to ask about the offense, too, for the White Sox. The fact that they haven't hit that many home runs. And then, you know, the last week of baseball happened where the Sox popped up for six home runs. And the offensive environment seems to be changing around us as we've removed sticky stuff and and whatever. And it's also getting hotter and things like that. But what does the White Sox power, um, team-wide or lack thereof, say to you about where they might be headed, what kind of decisions they might be making over the next four weeks? It's interesting. I mean, I I do think they would probably benefit from another sort of power bat. But of course, we're talking about a team that is dealing with, as we all know, two major injuries to two guys who were probably going to provide a lot of that power in Eloy Jimenez and Luis Roberts. So I'm not that surprised that they haven't hit for quite as much power as maybe we expected when we were talking about them in December or January. But even without maybe, you know, a high home run total or whatever you want to say, their offense has still been the fifth best in baseball if we look at weighted runs created plus. All you need to know about that, 100 is league average. They're at 108, which means they're 8% better than league average, and that's fifth in the majors behind only the Astros, Blue Jays, Dodgers, and Giants. So even if it hasn't been, I think, maybe what fans would conventionally want in terms of a powerful offense, a lot of home runs, everyone wants to see those at the ballpark. It's been a really solid offense, and they've been really good with getting on base. Obviously, yes, Monty Grandal is in his own sort of uh, echelon with all of that, but I think they have played well enough to support that starting rotation we were talking about, and that's been really good to see. Talking with Sarah Langs of the MLB Network here on the White Sox Weekly Show. It's the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network, and I'm Connor McKnight. I, I wonder, you know, Yasmani Grandal, as you were kind of talking there, I'm like, oh, Yasmani Grandal, that's the avatar for weird offense, <laughs> high on base percentage, and how the heck are they getting as many runs across as they actually are? I His last month has been like Yasmani Grandal, right? I mean, the, the back of the baseball kind of, kind of stuff. How do you put into context his first two? Like when when you see the fact that he's hitting a buck twenty and has the on base at three sixty, how does a baseball mind like yours process it? Oh my goodness! I mean, you know, I understand that fans again don't necessarily want to see a batting average below two hundred for anybody on their team, and especially not someone who got a deal like his. But I have to say that as this really was developing over the first month or two of the season, I was just having so much fun with it. Because as you're alluding to, this is not a splash line that we're used to seeing. And as you said, he's hit that, you know, since the beginning of June, he's hitting 263. That's a little bit more in the normal range. But for the season, he's hitting 190 with a 388 on base and a 441 slugging percentage. And I looked into this a couple weeks ago, and at the time, he was on pace to have the highest difference between on-base percentage and batting average for anybody in this season in the modern era. 
and the highest for a season that has already been completed, right, since his was still in progress, was Barry Bonds in the early 2000s. And that's because his on base was off the charts because he was setting records for intentional walks. So obviously that's two very different types of offensive seasons that we're talking about there. But it's pretty funny that because Grandal had such a low batting average but was barely swinging and getting on base so much, he was going to have a similar type of difference between those two stats. I mean, I know it's very silly, but I also would say that you know, for anybody who may have been frustrated with the output that he was putting there. I mean, getting on base is very important to a team. I understand, again, we all want to see home runs and contact and balls put in play, but getting on base of the clip he was doing was absolutely helping that team, and I don't want that to be overlooked. It was. I'm glad you pointed it out because it was a frequent topic of conversation on the show for the first two months. <laughs> But I, it was amazing. I talked to him about, I don't know, I call it three weeks ago or something, Sarah. And I asked about his approach, like when the knee got a little healthier, like how do you just shift the sights? Like when do you just go, oh, okay, my body's good. I'm ready to swing now. And he started talking about the old approach of his, the one for the first two months. And cleaning it up a little bit, it's almost barely a sentence, but it was essentially, I'm not swinging at that bad stuff anymore. I'm just not doing it. They have to throw me things in the zone. And that seems like such a ridiculous thing to say out loud and then make happen against big league pitching. I mean, it's just incredible. Like, I I appreciate what you're saying there because he deserves so much credit and any ball player who does this to lay off those types of pitches. I mean, it's really easy to sit here and talk about. It is not easy to stand there in the box and actually do that. And his swing rate is so much lower than it's been in any other season of his career. And again, I see how people can say that's a bad thing, but I really don't think it is. And to your point, I mean, that is extreme discipline. That is absolutely extreme discipline. He is making pitchers throw him pitches he wants to see. And I understand that he's at 190 right now, but if he keeps hitting the way he's been hitting lately, that's going to get back into those 200s pretty soon. And I think he'll get back to, you know, where he normally is as a hitter. I mean, other than his rookie year where he really only played 60 games, he's never hit above 250 in a season. This is not someone who we were expecting to hit 300. But obviously the one at the beginning I know uh, frustrates fans. But I, I think to go from swinging at 34% of the pitches he saw last year and 39% two years ago to 30% this year, I mean, that takes discipline. And it is absolutely helping the team. And if, as, as you're saying, you know, he was dealing with some injuries, dealing with some other stuff. And if you're in a situation where you don't think you can help the team by taking that swing, then you are helping a lot by standing there taking that pitch and getting on base instead and extending the inning. So let's talk about some of the deficits the White Sox have in this 2021 season. Obviously, injuries have been a big problem throughout baseball. Um, Hamstrings and upper legs and quads and stuff, I was just reading on Prospectus, all the kinds of injury factors and trackers that we've been looking at. Given all of those concerns... How do you see or, or where do you see the White Sox kind of shopping around as we get closer to the deadline? Are there are there bargain fits, perhaps? Because most of this White Sox system, as, as fans know, is now at the big league level producing and filling in for the guys that aren't there right now. Definitely. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think that they're in an interesting spot because, you know, we've seen 
the medical updates over the last week or so about Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. We know that they could be back sometime towards the end of the year or potentially into a postseason run. And you have to imagine that that does affect it. When you look at the division, when you look at the fact that the White Sox do have a six-game lead and the Indians' main strength was their pitching, and those pitchers are all now hurt for the most part. So they are really not in a good spot. I do think that you know any move that happens should probably be seen as a move for October, not necessarily even in the regular season. Mm. And in terms of holes, I mean, what stands out to me is second base. Obviously, Nick Madrigal is another really fun type of player, very unique type of player in a different way from Yasmani Grandal, but in a way that I wish we could be talking about more. But of course, he is out for the year with that injury. I know that there were some reports in the last few days linking the White Sox to Adam Frazier of the Pirates and I'm not sure exactly what type of price he would command, but he is a really good player. Very similar to Madrigal in certain ways in terms of making a lot of contact, not hitting for power, but really hitting for average, barely ever striking out. And if they were able to pull off a trade like that, that would be honestly probably even an upgrade over where Madrigal is right now in his development. And that could, I think, put this offense back to, again, it's not going to give them the home runs that we were talking about beforehand. Mm -hmm. Or really help that consistency. If you're if you're in charge of making the moves, then Sarah and and we've heard some you know kind of high asking prices for a player like Frazier who's controlled through next season. I don't like that phrasing, but who's uh, who would be you know, under team persuasion for the next two years? I guess. What are you willing to give up? I mean, is that is Andrew Vaughn a part of that conversation? Do you dial things back to I don't know crochet? How much are the Pirates asking for in that transaction? It's a good question. You know, I mean, I have to imagine that the Pirates are certainly looking at the types of players you mentioned, and probably even to the prospects who haven't even made it to the majors yet. I mean, we know that the Pirates are not going to be competing next year, no matter what types of trades they're able to pull off this July. And, you know, an Andrew Vaughn or Garrett Crochet is certainly a player who would be there to help them for the long haul. I, you know, I am, it's funny, I, in fantasy football leagues, I'm so, like, risk-averse with trades that I'm so bad at uh, brainstorming them just in my own, uh, looking at my own roster and trying to guess. But I do think that Andrew Vaughn is a really, really valuable piece for the White Sox, and he's been great for them, you know, and I think it's really hard for fans to sometimes process the idea of trading someone away. But this team has a chance to be really, really special, and I do think that, one of those high asking prices like that could really be worth it for them to really put them on that track to winning those postseason series beyond how well they're already playing in the regular season. I want to zoom out league wide a little bit here. I'm, I'm curious, Sarah, where are you at now that we're 81 games through, at least the White Sox are, where are you at personally on the runner at second base and extra innings rule? You know, I think it's funny. If you had talked about it, if we talked about it three years ago, and there was some discussion about it, it was included in the WBC, it was in certain levels of the minor leagues. You know, it's very hard to envision a change before it actually happens. And I think we all, or I certainly, got pretty used to it last year with having that. You know, and the same can be said for the seven-inning uh, doubleheader games. I, I do think it changes the tenor of extra inning games a lot you know there's a lot of pressure on that road team to score multiple runs in the top of the 10th because we've seen that that one run the runner on second scores close to 50 percent of the time for either team so there's a lot of pressure to get a multi-run lead and be able to bring in your closer and lock that down if you are 
the road team. And, uh, you know, there is a sort of ping pong nature to some of these games, I feel like, where you see each team scoring the one run and we go a couple innings. There's been a couple of games like that lately. And it's obviously so different than what we're used to with games that used to go 20 innings and nobody would score for like three hours. But ultimately, I mean, I, I am never going to be against any specific change. I mean, you know, baseball has adapted for so many years. I have no idea whether we'll continue to see this, you know, beyond this year. But I do think that we've seen teams sort of figure out exactly what the, you know, strategic choices should be. Uh, And I really think that scoring multiple runs in that top of the 10th of the road team is like the key to winning those games. You know, for a brief shining moment over this last week, uh, Kyle Schwarber threatened to eclipse the headlines of one Shohei Otani out west. Uh, It's been a lot of fun to watch those two get as much attention as they have over the last couple. Um, But thinking back to the start of the season, the White Sox were the first team against which Shohei Otani uh, pitched and hit in this season. He has since gone on to just, he had two home runs last night. We, We as a baseball people, I think, owe more conversation about Shohei Otani, even if the show is called White Sox Weekly. And I, I just, it's been incredible to watch him. I wonder how you uh, choose to celebrate the man's greatness in his whole catalog. Oh, my goodness. I mean, first, going back to that first start, and I'm sorry to the White Sox fans who are listening, but that Sunday night baseball game, it was amazing. I mean, I do hope that even the White Sox fans were able to take a step back and appreciate that. He hit 100 on the radar gun in the top of the first inning. Then he comes up to bat, batting second, and hit the 451-foot home run. It was absolutely crushed, 110-plus miles an hour off the bat. I was sitting here, I screamed when that happened because it was like, oh, my gosh, he's actually doing the thing. And all of us collectively at base, as baseball fans have been waiting for this because he hadn't actually hit in the games where he pitched until this season. Didn't happen in 2018. He didn't pitch in 2019. And then in 2020, he was not in the lineup when he was pitching and he only made two starts. So for it to all come together and him actually do the thing and hit the really long home run as a starting pitcher, I mean, that felt like that could be, excuse me, the pinnacle. And then it just kept going. I mean, the fact that he has 30 home runs, it's the most home runs for anybody in the season where they made at least 10 pitching starts or 10 pitching appearances. And, you know, something that I've been saying a lot lately is we, we compare him to Babe Ruth, and I completely understand why. Obviously, 714 career home runs and a ton of pitching starts as well. But what Shohei Otani is doing is so far beyond Babe Ruth at this point, if you ask me. Babe Ruth was not throwing 100 miles an hour. He did not have a nasty splitter. He was not hitting 450-foot home runs or 470-foot home runs. It's a product of the game he played in. Nobody was doing that when Babe Ruth was playing. But I think there's an extra level to what Shohei Otani is doing, which is almost like a medical marvel or an athleticism marvel, whatever you want to call it that was not part of that Babe Ruth story. I mean, when Babe Ruth was doing that, there were other people who did this too. Not nearly on the same level, but there were. And especially, you know, Negro League staffs will become official at some point, uh, it seems like, this year. And there will be other names added to those lists. But nobody has ever done this the way Shohei Otani is doing it. Sarah, it's been a blast to watch. Really fun talking with you. Thanks so much. Uh, Hopefully we can check in again after the deadline, see what kind of moves the Sox have made. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. You got it. Sarah Langs, MLB Network. She is absolutely fantastic. You can follow her work, S. Langs on Sports on Twitter.
When we come back, plenty more White Sox discussion. We'll get the latest from Detroit, uh, an update on Yasmani Grandal, and we'll hear from Rakan about Yohan Moncada's status as well, in case you missed it yesterday. 312-332-3776, your phone calls as well. you got to answer Len Asks. Rate the White Sox season through 81 games on a scale of 1 to 10. I'm Connor McKnight. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Captain Jay Hood, 7 to 10 mornings, ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Hey, parents, you can visit the Xfinity Kid Zone overlooking left field and have your future major leaguer test their pitching, batting, and base running skills with White Sox youth coaches. And while you're there, check out how Xfinity keeps you connected to your White Sox no matter where you watch. Xfinity, the fastest internet in Chicago. Just got done with the conversation with MLB Network's Sarah Langs. It was a blast talking with Sarah. She is absolutely brilliant. Uh, we'll probably connect with her again after the MLB trade deadline, see where the White Sox have landed after, um, after making their moves or not making some moves. Could be interesting either way. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. Len asks, he has a question for you, rank the White Sox season so far on a scale of 1 to 10. Uh, taking your phone calls on anything, White Sox, though, as we approach the start of the pregame show at 2.30, first pitch at 3.10. Out to the phone lines we go, and in displays, it's Gary. What's up, Gary? Hey, Connor. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Good. Enjoy the show. Thanks. I, I would rate the season a 9. If you told me we'd be missing Eloy and Luis Robert and Madrigal going down, plus all the other injuries, and we were six games ahead on, in the beginning of July – that's a winner. So only sad that you didn't get to see Eloy and Robert get more at bats and develop, but it is what it is. Uh, but I had a question for you. Last week you were talking about the Sox bullpen being like a top four or five bullpen. Yeah. I'd be interested to see how that bullpen would rank if you took out um, Liam Hendricks' numbers and Michael Kopech's numbers. Because I see some struggles with the rest of the bullpen from time to time, and I would like to see them get a solid, you know, proven bullpen arm to shore that up at the deadline. Sure. Gary, appreciate the phone call, my man. So two things there. One, well, three things, I guess. Um, I get the eight, man. I get the nine. I really do. If you want to boil this whole puppy down to, and that's a, that's a terrible metaphor. Don't do that to puppies. You really shouldn't. They're beautiful, lovely, fuzzy creatures. Six games up, 81 games through, and you've dealt with the injuries you've dealt with. Yeah, nine. I Like, come on, what? Nine. To Gary's point about the bullpen, though, I, I'll look up the numbers real quick. I, I can't do it while I'm talking here. I'll do it during the break. I'll check fan graphs for the bullpen numbers and let you know where they were at then. But what I was telling you last week is that the White Sox, in terms of wins above replacement, and again, yeah, it's not the it's a snapshot. It's not the end all be all of numbers. I am a numbers guy, but I'm not here to tell you that just because the war is bleh that that it's fine, that everything's okay, that you just keep on, you know, whistling past the graveyard or whatever. And I get Gary's point of wanting to take Liam Hendricks and Michael Kopech out of the results for the White Sox. And I'll do that for you. I don't know that I'm able to do all that math uh here during the show. Maybe that's something I gotta plan for next week's White Sox Weekly, and I will. So we can do that, but the White Sox still have Liam Hendricks and Michael Kopech, right? And this White Sox bullpen over the last, well, since May 26th, month plus, have not had Michael Kopech. 
and they still gotten by okay. Yeah, there have been some, you know, the last two weeks, you know, from the 13th of June to about the 16th of June. Uh, I'm sorry, the 13th to the 26th of June, where the Sox were 5-8. and eight. There were some bullpen hiccups, yes, but largely speaking, the offense just did not score runs. So that exacerbates some issues. I don't blame anybody for wanting to add more pitching to a contender, ever, point blank. That's what contenders do. They add pitching. They add impact arms. You can never have enough. And, and I keep saying this, and, and I think it's probably worth saying, I know you, you know this in the back of your mind, but I would, get, I would imagine you get to a certain point where you're going, well, we got this guy, this guy, this guy, we're all set. That's a playoff series, man. We'll get through that first round, no doubt. Just because July 31st rolls around, remember this year the deadline's on the 30th, just because July you wake up July 31st and the rosters are set and you've made your trades, that doesn't mean guys can't get hurt. Injuries can still pop up and probably will later on in the season, August and September. you got to shore things up and, you know, as best you can protect against some injury, uh, injury problems or potentials. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. We'll get back out to some phone calls. Uh, Don from Burbank, you're our leadoff guy when we come back, starting the 2 o'clock hour. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. It's simple. The ESPN Chicago app. Sox fans, pregame patio parties are back starting July 16th. Treat your group of 20 or more to two hours of an all-you-can-eat buffet along with unlimited beer, wine, and Coca-Cola products. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com slash patio. I've had the privilege of enjoying a game on the patio. It is an absolute blast. It's one of the very few things I don't like about this job. I got to... I Sit up with Lan and DJ and put up with all their nonsense. They're fine. But I don't get to go out to the patio anymore. And it's still been a minute. It's going to be after the All-Star break. But it's still been a long time since I've gotten the Comiskey Burger. That's the one with all the good, you know, it's got the cheese spread on it. And they take all the fixins that usually go on a Chicago dog, chop it up into like a slaw kind of thing, chuck it on the... My, my people, it, it, I, it is... Oh, man. It's like it's my favorite thing at the park. And I know, oh, what about the elotes? And oh, what about, yeah, yes, all of those are fantastic. Give me the Comiskey Burger. I cannot wait. Looking forward to wandering around the ballpark again, probably after the All-Star break, you know, when the Sox come back home and uh, getting myself one of those bad boys. I, I want to get to, um, let's see, it was uh, Jim's call about the bullpen in just a second here when we come back. Or, or not when we come back, but we are going to pause it first. Station ID real quickly here, and then we'll, we'll get Don from Burbank into the show as well. Uh, you got White Sox Weekly. We're going to pause it here quickly. 10 for station ID. From the first Midwest Bank State Street studio, this is WMVP WSHE HD2 Chicago. The new home for the Chicago White Sox. ESPN 1000. All right, out to the phone lines we go. 312-332-3776. Remember, Len Casper's question for you, White Sox fans, is rank the season on a scale of 1 to 10. You can call about anything White Sox-related that you want to yank about, but out in Burbank, it's Don on White Sox Weekly. What's up, Don? Hey, how you doing, buddy? Hanging um, love, love your show. Um, and uh, what a beautiful day today it is outside, out just south of uh, Midway Airport. So I ranked the Sox 10 for this reason. With 
Okay, so we got two of our best players are out, and they're going to be out hopefully only for another month. But it gave us a chance to bring up our AAA players. I don't know if you guys ever talked about this, but our AAA players are phenomenal. And what are they going to be worth next year for trade bait or even if they're still available on our team? Um, I mean, you only get you only get better by experience and playing in the majors. I'm going to stop and listen to what you think about that. Don, appreciate you, my man. Thanks so much. Glad you're enjoying the weather, too. Yeah, it looks like a good one out there. Should be getting a little hotter, you know, that kind of thing. Stay safe, be responsible, and make good decisions uh, this July 4th weekend. But also enjoy yourselves and listen to plenty of White Sox baseball here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. That's my pitch, anyway, for the 4th. The depth has been incredible. I, I It's been incredible. And even if it hasn't you know, necessarily in every single spot produced the way that you'd hoped. I find it tough to believe that White Sox fans look at, you know, I, we, we get calls about the lineups a lot, and White Sox Twitter talks about where guys are batting and how many times and all that. I get it. I get it. Those are good conversations to have. You know, should Gavin Sheets be in the two spot two days after he gets to the big leagues? I, I think it's a fair question. But it's obvious. I mean, truly, the, the most important thing Real smart baseball writer I, I used to pal around with and do shows with back in the day uh, talked to me about this, taught me this. I respect his opinion a ton because he's seen a lot. But one of the most important things an organization can do is self-scouting. Knowing what you have better than anybody else knows what you have. Used to see this from the Atlanta Braves in the 90s. They self-scouted the hell out of their system. You go back and look through the trades that they made, the big-time prospects they got rid of for deals that would help them as a contender, you know, because the Braves were a contender for my entire youth. Pick a year. They won a division, 14 straight, I think. But what they did so well is identify the prospects that they it was a little overhyped, it was a little bit too much eyewash, you know, it was a little bit anti-calories, that kind of stuff. Those they flipped, they picked up players they wanted, they won more divisions. And the guys they knew that were going to be good, or at the very least, we're going to provide a, a specific skill set that that team needed. They kept those guys, promoted those guys. And in some cases, like, to a lot of um, complaint, in some cases, some of the guys they kept were like, really, this guy? And then, you know, he turns into a pretty decent hitter for a couple of years. They ride that. Self-scouting's crucial, especially in this game where the information that teams have on hand and I think a lot of executives would tell you this. Some some said it out loud. The information that teams have is all very similar. But it's what you... We talked with Chris Getz about this a couple of weeks ago, assistant general manager for the White Sox. But it's what you do and where you put the value in those similar numbers and similar evaluations that you have. And it stands to reason that the places where you can find market inefficiency, perhaps, are the guys that you know better than anybody else because they're your guys. So say what you will about where they're hitting and how quickly they're coming up or not coming up or what have you. But clearly the White Sox have been able to make some internal evaluations that have gotten them to the point, and, and in some cases being aggressive with promotions. I mean, shoot, Jake Berger playing in AAA this year, it, it had to be done. But he played 80-something minor league games before going from A-ball to AAA to the bigs. That is that's bananas. 
but it matters because of what you're able to create around them. And I'll tell you this, and I, I was saying this for a couple of weeks up until uh, Jake's call-up yesterday and his first big league hit yesterday. We had Jake on the show. And in fact, probably time for a, a shameless plug. In case you missed our interview with Jake Berger, or if you want to go back and listen to the interview we just did with Sarah Langs of the MLB Network, I highly recommend both. Head to the app, ESPN Chicago app. It's the same app that you've already got if you're listening to White Sox baseball for free here in the Chicagoland area. You just download the app and you can listen to White Sox baseball crystal clear. It's awesome. That app also has the podcasts of every single White Sox weekly show, and you can go back and listen to things. Anyway, what I've been saying about Berger for a while is I hope he plays big league ball this year. But I wasn't necessarily sure that it'd be for the White Sox. You know, given the injury situation and Yohan Mankata, uh, you know, kind of rolling over his right arm and not playing this weekend, having a bruised hand, and hopefully coming back fairly soon, you needed a third baseman. You needed a guy to take some reps at the corner. Your mean Mercedes wasn't that guy, obviously. We'll talk a little bit more about your mean later on in the show. But Berger had to come up for positional versatility just to make the lineup work a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if teams are interested in Jake Berger. I don't know that he's the guy that gets you the dude you want. But I think he's more than a throw-in. I would say the same for Gavin Sheets. I don't know if those guys are going to be on this team in the next couple of weeks for a whole bunch of different reasons. Guys could get healthy. Uh, we got an update from Adam Engel about Adam Engel from Scott Merkin that I'll read you in a minute. But there are going to have to be tough roster decisions over the next week and a half. Some of these kids that have been so much fun to watch debut in the bigs may have to go back to AAA, but such is the life of a first-place team. That's what happens. Those are good problems to have. They're fun problems to have. They really are. Uh, after the phone lines, 312-332-3776 in Naperville. It's Jim. What's up, Jim? Yeah, I rate uh, between a 9 and 10. Sure. I mean, I can't see too many things are done wrong. A couple of little things Tony LaRusso did when he didn't quite know the team yet. But except for that, it's fine. But the question I have, and I haven't heard anything, What whatever happened to Ronaldo Lopez? I mean, is he still around or what's going on with him sure i'll pull up Ronaldo's stats at triple a charlotte in just a second my internet's just being a touch slow but i can tell you it's been a it's been a little bit of a rough go for Ronaldo lopez um speaking of tough decisions you know to be made uh he he holds a spot on the 40-man roster and his numbers unfortunately triple a have, have not been have not been great uh they've been bad in fact so Reynaldo Lopez is, is um, you know, is one of those. He's a guy that's uh, was was added, had a shot. You know, who knows? He, he may pull it back together. He's got a fastball, but with the lack of a real competitive breaking ball, one that can get some swings and misses, it leaves him a little bit short as a starter. I think still very young. Wouldn't be surprised at all if there's you know maybe still left for him a, a shift to reliever or maybe even sticking in at starter. Maybe something clicks for him in terms of a breaking ball. But uh, it's it's been a tough go in Charlotte. I can give you those stats in a little bit. But, Jim, I, I don't know that Ronaldo Lopez is going to be a dude that um, gets a call anytime soon. Looks like he's working on a handful of things at AAA Charlotte. Wanted to mention a couple of fun facts uh, before we talk a little bit more about the roster decisions that got made, a little bit more about Yermin Mercedes, and hear some from Rick Hahn before we start the pregame show at 2.30. The Sox, and I think I mentioned this off the top, but in case you missed it, 
The Sox can score seven straight runs, seven or more runs in six straight games for only the sixth time in franchise history today. Asking for a seven spot is a lot. DJ will probably do it, though, in the pregame show, or at least in the first couple of pitches, because that's what the man does. He asks for things, and then they happen on the baseball field. That's been his last week. But the last time they did it, scoring seven in a row, or seven or more in six straight games, was in 2006. Gavin Sheets, by the way, has a hit and a rib in each of his first four games. Should he do that again today, a hit and an RBI, he'll be the first player in baseball with a hit and an RBI in his first five career games since Gerardo Parra in 2009. It's kind of a wild little fact there, too. And when you think about the fact that so many of these guys, Sheets, Vaughn, to a a certain extent, Berger, although he's only played third base, and will probably just play third base in the big leagues now that he's been called up. But they're adding more positions to the repertoire. It's impressive. I mean, it is for me. That's for sure. Speaking of of roster decisions and some things that are maybe coming down the pipeline for the White Sox, I wanted to read this to you. Scott Merkin wrote it up on MLB.com. Beat reporter Scott Merkin. Um, had the latest on Adam Engel. Oh, and now I've misplaced it. Gosh darn it. I apologize. I'm just not navigating the internet all that well. But it sounds like Adam Engel, who reactivated, uh, reactivated, re-injured um, his hamstring just the other day, may be reactivated at some point early this week, this coming week. It's Saturday, because we're doing White Sox Weekly today. So <laughs> Sunday's tomorrow, Monday's after that. They'll go face the Twins, then it's three against the Orioles, and then it's the all-star break. But, you know, you start to look at, okay, how many guys are here, who's producing, who's not, what kind of positions are you looking to make um, a little bit stronger, a little bit deeper. The Sox just returned Billy Hamilton to the active roster. Same thing for Adam Eaton. Brian Goodwin is playing very well for the White Sox, and while he's, you know, probably not the the best center fielder they have on the squad. Adam Engel is is that guy at this point. Uh, it, you know, if he's healthy, of course, he can certainly provide for you in center field and fits in well in either corner. There's decisions, though, that have to get made. There's, there's squeezes that are going to happen there. And not for nothing, but it, it sounds like, you know, the, um, the re-injury to Adam Engel was uh, a little bit freaky in that the, the scar tissue or just kind of the I don't know if it's technically scar tissue, but the beat up stuff in his hamstring kind of a little bit of trigger warning here kind of opened up and started leaking. That's where the fluid came from. There was a lot of that in there, and that's really not supposed to happen. It's fairly rare. But from what it sounds like, that means that it's it's not quite a re-injury. It's not another pull of the hamstring. It's just kind of like a a valve got stuck open in the plumbing, right? So hopefully that's a good thing for Engel and he's able to get back into the swing of things pretty quickly. More outfield defense is not a bad thing for any ball club. Uh, a little bit more range, a little bit more versatility is good. But, you know, I mean, that's... that's If you think about things, that could be Gavin Sheets going back to AAA. I don't know how long the issue is going to be for Yohan Mankata. It sounds like the hope is that after this weekend against the Tigers that Moncada could probably pop back into the lineup for the Sox, but we don't know that yet. And while Tony La Russa told reporters earlier today, and we mentioned it on the show, 
that it doesn't look like an IL stint for Yasmani Grandal will be necessary. That could still be a thing. He left last night's game with a calf strain. He was running around a little bit today, and the White Sox did not add anyone to the roster. They're going to go with one catcher. Interestingly, Danny Mendick is the emergency guy. If Zach Collins would have to leave the game for any reason, here's hoping that doesn't happen. Not that Mendick couldn't do it. He's that kind of dude. Most teams have a guy on the 40-man that is like, he's like that guy. You can't, he won't say no to anything. He's 100% on any decision. That, cause that's Danny. I mean, at least a little bit I've known him, that's, that's Danny. He's ready to roll. But you don't want to put a guy in that position, and hopefully it's Collins the rest of the weekend. But if something had to be done there, Sebi Savala is there, and then a roster move has to be made just to fit that second catcher in. Good news is that you know these guys are optionable. The guys we've talked about so far. Memory serves the guys that aren't Collins and Jose Ruiz out of the bullpen. I think the only guys that you're running into a problem with option-wise. And that's going to matter, too, as we talk more about who's going where and what trades might be on the table as we get closer and closer to the deadline. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. Still got uh, a segment to go. want to talk a bit about the big roster move from this week, and that's Yermin Mercedes heading down to AAA and Jake Berger coming up. We talked with Jake to start the show. I want to talk about Yermin when we get back. You'll hear from White Sox manager, uh, general manager Rick Hahn in just a little bit too. And you can answer Len Asks today. The question Len Casper had for you was rank the White Sox season on a scale of 1 to 10 through 81 games. So far, nobody's given a number anything lower than an 8, which is fun. That's a good way to be six games up in the division here on July 3rd. We'll be back with more White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Follow us on Twitter at ESPN 1000. Closing it up here on White Sox Weekly. Got about 10 minutes before we'll get things started on the White Sox pregame show. Sox and Tigers coming up in just a little bit. Dallas Keuchel gets the start for the White Sox. Sox fans, this is your last chance to lock in a ticket package for the 2021 season. It's the best way to get postseason priority, flexible payment plans, and savings on single-game prices for the biggest matchups to come. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com. Or call 312-674-1000. Out to the phone lines we go. We'll sneak one more in here before we uh, hit the pregame show. In Byron, it's Mike. What's up, Mike? You're on White Sox Weekly. Hey, Connor. Happy 4th. To you, too. And uh, I I, I rate the White Sox at about an 8.5, given the La Russa situation being out of baseball for 10 years. uh, There's going to be some hiccups, the injuries, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I think overall the kids have really stepped up. Yep. So I, I, I'm really happy with that. I wanted to talk about uh, you talked about Burger. Now I want to talk about the fry. And, <laughs> sure. Uh, how's, how's he looking uh, as far as what his rehab did? And should we expect to see him pretty soon? Uh, here's a thumbnail on Fry. Yeah, I appreciate the phone call, Mike. I, I would expect to see him soon. He, oh boy, he got up and started. He got up last night. He didn't get into the game, but he got up last night and started throwing. He was out of the roster uh, the other day. Fry, the lefty. What I can tell you from what I'd seen and heard from his AAA stuff, the out pitch is there. He, he's got some nasty stuff. He, he's got some strikeouts to him. Had a little bit of a walk issue still at AAA Charlotte. Um, I think it was eight walks in, I want to say, 19 innings. A little higher. And when Jace Fry is right, he's going to strike guys out and work around those walks. And 
when he's missing the strike zone some, he's going to walk a few. But I, I would imagine that Fry gets into today's ball game or tomorrow's ball game, maybe even both. I don't know. Um, but the rehab went really well for him. He was coming back from a microdisectomy surgery, which I'm told, I don't know this, but I'm told that it's a back surgery. Um, I, I, what I mean is, like, I didn't know this before. I had to look it up. It's a back surgery for him, and it's something he'd gone through before, and it, it's not a... It's not a serious surgery in as much as they didn't, like, rescue him from, you know, total oblivion or anything. But the rehab is, you know, it's, it's a back surgery. So it's, it's fairly lengthy and, and something that needs to be handled with care. They have done that. He's checked those boxes. He's up at the big club. And like I said, I, I think he pitches either today or tomorrow because that's how, that's how Tony's kind of worked. You get added to the roster and you're a position player, you're playing either that day or the next one. I mean, I, I can't think of... Anybody on this club that got added to the roster that didn't play in the first two or three days, save Jake Lamb. That's the guy. Sheets played right away. Berger played right away. Uh, Brian Goodwin played right away. Adam Engel played right away when he got added back to the roster. Like, if you're, if you're there, you're playing. Relievers, just a little bit different, but... You know, when Ryan Burr got activated, I think he started pitching in his second game. I, I would imagine the same thing's going to be for Fry. The thing of it is, though, the Fry situation's a little bit different in as much as he's one of two lefties in that pen. So he's a little bit more of a, a rarer commodity. You know, you got to make sure your lefties count. Crochet, right now, is the top lefty in that White Sox bullpen. Fry's the second guy. So... You know, you got, you got to be careful with where you're putting those guys. You got to fit, you have the three batter minimum to think about. You want to find those pockets of batters where you can face, you know, hopefully two out of three left-handers if the platoon splits go that way. You know, obviously, if you're facing a guy with reverse splits, then you're good to throw that lefty or whatever. I want to follow up on one thing. Uh, Don from Burbank called earlier. Love Don. Good call. I mean, we love all our callers equally here on White Sox Weekly, but Don has a has had a handful of good ones here in the first few months of White Sox baseball. He asked about the bullpen. I had been telling you last week that the Sox were, maybe it was two weeks ago, fourth in wins above replacement as a bullpen unit. And while you know he asked me to take Liam Hendricks and Michael Kopech out of the numbers and see where they rank then, I could do that, and I probably will for the next White Sox weekly. But that really would, because then I'd have to take each of the top two relievers out of every team and then rank them against each other, which I actually think would be an interesting one. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see where the rest of the bullpens, especially for the contenders in the American League, kind of sit. So I'll do that next Saturday. But what I can tell you now is that today, coming into play, the White Sox bullpen is now sixth in wins above replacement. It is eighth, like as in the eighth best, in left on base percentage. You know, the runners that are on base when you come in, you want to strand them, all that stuff. They are sixth in strikeouts per nine, and they have the sixth best walks per nine. I mean, to me, those are some decent numbers. Those are, you know, the kind of things that scream top 10 bullpen. They are not at all. Oh, you know what? I was looking at FIP too, fielding independent pitching. You know, you take the home runs, the strikeouts, and the walks out of things. Ninth, you know, so another top 10 number there. Other teams that have, you know, big-time bullpens, Seattle, the Rays, the Cubs, actually, uh, the Indians, of course, the Yankees have had a good bullpen. You know, teams you'd kind of expect. But I don't think that precludes anyone, even top bullpens, you know, like guys who have been riding teams, rather, 
that have been riding the top of the bullpen rankings all season long, like the Yankees, like the Mariners. Actually, Baltimore's had a really good bullpen this year, too. Paul Fry's been good for them. Not Chase. No relation, I don't think. Miami's had a good pen. The Red Sox have had a decent pen. I, I think any of those teams, contenders, could add. You can never have enough pitching. I wouldn't be too surprised about it. Just a word or two here before we wrap things up about your mean Mercedes. Uh, before I do, Sox fans, have you checked out the new podcast with Len Casper and Jason Benetti? I have. It's a ton of fun. It's called Sox Degrees, and they have great guests all season long, some close to the team, some six degrees away. New episodes drop every Monday to listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Liam Hendricks was their latest guest. Actually, he and his wife, Christy, were their latest guests. Uh, that episode's a fun one. Liam is a crazy person, and I know he doesn't mind me saying it because we've talked and it's cool. It's a fun episode. Go download it. It's the Sox Degrees podcast. Your mean Mercedes, just quickly here, back down in AAA. And Rick Hahn said this as well, so don't think I'm just kind of making something happen, right? I'm not trying to make fetch happen just for fetch's sake. Your mean Mercedes, I think, is still a hitter. I don't think whatever he was doing in April has completely disappeared. I I think he can still provide for a big league club. Is that going to be this season? I don't know. The roster construction is wonky, and he doesn't really have a position after all. The Sox have two catchers in Yasmani Grandal and Zach Collins that they really like behind the plate. And even if your mean is an average catcher, which I think he might be, with a cannon on an arm, which he definitely has, it's really tough to get him at innings behind the plate. So he's a DH only, and the Sox have a bunch of bats hopefully coming back and healthy. So maybe the roster just doesn't work out for him to provide next year. But I, I still think that's a bat that's going to matter at some point. That's a bat that's worth keeping in the system. And a ton of credit is due to your mean Mercedes for helping keep this White Sox team afloat through the first month of April. It just is. Hats off to the dude, and hopefully his AAA Charlotte time is brief and he's able to contribute to a big league ball club soon. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. What a fun show. Thank you so much to Jake Berger and Sarah Langs. Berger's in the lineup today. Pre-game show starts in just a little bit. Thanks to Ryan McGuire. Thanks to Sean Davis. Thanks to Ray Garcia of the White Sox for all of their hard work to make this show what it is. Pre-game show starts in just a few. I'm Connor McKnight. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network.